Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Okay, people who've been coming along for a while will realize that we're doing a series about being a people of God. And this week, we're going to look at being a people of promise. Now, I feel under pressure, given that we just had a black preacher right at the start, a black American preacher of all things, telling us how excited he was about God. You know, to try and follow that is really, really difficult. But I, I, I guess you're going to be used to a Dower Scott by now, you know. So this is excited for a Dower Scott. <laughs> Okay, we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 8, and going through to 22, and it begins, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, And without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus. You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You know, normally when you get told that you're going to be preaching on being a people of promise, it's really easy to jump into the Old Testament and look at promises that were made to some of those people, especially to Abraham, who God made a covenant with, you know, that his people would outnumber the stars, would outnumber the grains of sand, you know, that would be this mighty, mighty nation. And how he was rewarded for his faith, how even when it seemed hopeless that he would father a child, through Sarah, God enabled that to happen. But 
when I was looking at preaching today on being a people of promise, I realized that we're not Abraham's descendants. You know, we're not the Jewish nation. And we don't share the promise that was made to him. Our right to enter into God's promises don't really come through Abraham, but they come through Christ, a descendant of Abraham, and the sacrifice that he made. And these verses in Ephesians make that plainly clear. Because in here we're told that we are alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and that we're strangers to the covenant of promise. The problem that we have often is that it's too easy to forget what it's like to actually live outside the promise. You know, there was a time when everyone in this room was separated from Christ. When we were aliens to the kingdom of God. Where we lived outside the promise. That at some point in all our lives, God placed his hand on us and caused circumstances to arise in our lives that guided us into his kingdom. That led to us being counted as part of his people. Not through circumcision and adherence to the law, but through an everlasting sacrifice and a great outpouring of God's grace. It says again in these verses, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. The Westminster Confession puts it this way. It says that the distance between God and the creature is so great that although reasonable creatures do obedience unto him as their creator, yet they could never have any fruition of him as their blessedness and reward by some voluntary condescension on God's part which he have been pleased to express by way of covenant. We're not gathered here today because we deserve to be here. We're gathered here today because Christ through his sacrifice has made us worthy. However, despite the fact that we all come to God as individuals, God is actually making us into a people. Even to the extent that as a people, we have an identity. We're called Christians. We belong to Christ. And that's something that was quite early on. Josephus, who was a, um, he was a Jewish historian, wrote in 90 AD of the tribe of Christians. He mentions a people that have already taken that name. people who follow Christ and why is a name important you know in Scotland whole clans and it's the same in Ireland whole clans are known as being the son of Mick or Mac basically means son of so if you've got a MacDonald it's the son of Donald the name was important the name gives you an identity if we look at military units, regiments are very proud about their name, aren't they? You look at military history and you have all these fantastic regiments like the Guards, the Black Watch, the Royal Scots, who have a history, but they have an identity. People join 
the regiment. People take on the uniform. People follow the colours. They follow the orders. They have an identity. Going back into antiquity, people realised that you look at how the Romans built up their legions. It was all to do with an identity. You had an eagle you followed. The Spartans built their loyalty to each other around having an identity. To carry a name is to follow a code. It's to identify with something that makes belonging to it special. For a clan, it's special that you wear the tartan. It's special that you identify with your background, with your father's background. You know, I, I researched my family's history. My father was called James Martin Monroe. And it was dead easy finding his father because he was called James Martin Monroe. His father was called James Martin Monroe. His father was called James Martin Monroe. As far back as I can go, the fathers are James Martin Monroe, the firstborn. The name is important. It gets handed down. Being a Christian involves taking hold of the identity that God has given to us, that God has placed on his people. It involves taking ownership of the work that God calls his people to do. It involves us gathering together and uniting in a common purpose that is to glorify God and to build up his kingdom. being a people of the promise doesn't mean for us it's coming under legality you know it's quite interesting but very early on in the church's life at the council of Jerusalem there was a difference made between the Jewish converts and the Gentile converts you know the Gentile converts didn't have to go through the circumcision because Christ's blood covered us there was other decisions made for the Gentiles that showed that it's now a covenant of grace rather than a covenant of law. It doesn't mean that the law is there to be ignored because the law teaches us how to be good and teaches us how far from God we've actually fallen. But there is a new sacrifice for us. We don't have to go out into the fields this time of year and find a sacrificial lamb. God has given us a sacrificial lamb. The law is there to show us how far we'd fallen from God. We live by grace. And because we live by grace, we are accepted into the kingdom. That we can be molded into God's image. Molded into his likeness. And used to achieve his glory. You see, not only are we now a people... Not only do we now carry a name, but we also have a purpose. These verses in, verses in Ephesians say, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. There's no point having an identity and a sense of belonging if you then don't do anything with that, is there? If you join a regiment in the army, you don't expect to go on foreign trips and sit on a deck chair on a beach with your feet up, do you? You're expecting to follow orders. You're expecting that you're going to have something to do. 
and you're expected that you're going to go through a training program that's going to get you to a place where you can function and perform to the level that's expected of you. And God has plans for us. The Bible is very clear on that. You know, he has plans to prosper us. God has prepared works for us. God gives us a commission. You know, when he elected us, when he chose us to be his people, live in his kingdom, he did so knowing that we had a part to play. That you have a part to play. Every single person sat here today has a part that they play in the kingdom of God. And just like in a regiment, not everyone does the same tasks. We're not all called to the same thing. God has singled us out. He's chosen us for his tribe because we all have a part to play building his kingdom. And all the good works we're called to serve that purpose. One purpose. To glorify God. And like any tribe, the Christian tribe has to be in a cycle where it keeps regenerating. There always must be a next generation. And we are the people that regenerate. We're the people that get that generation to follow us. We're part of the Great Commission. The Great Commission wasn't just given to the early disciples. It was given to us to go and make disciples of all men. And to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We all have that purpose. What part we play in that differs, but we are doing that. Now I guess at this stage, some of you might be wondering, well, why would God choose me? You know, I have real problems. I am very introverted. And I struggle to know why God would choose me to go and make disciples. Because I find it difficult enough to talk to people I know very well. Never mind going up and starting conversations with complete strangers. You know, I just... There's something inside me that just ties knots in my stomach when I've got to do that. Even simple conversation topics don't come that naturally to me. I seldom think to ask people how they're doing. Or how such and such that was happening in their life actually went. You know, because I've heard from other people about it. I don't feel the need to then go and ask them for the same bit of information. struggle to join in small talk at times and I think it struck me when I was writing this you know that if God is relying on me to save the next generation then God's in big trouble he's really got this wrong you know I'm not going to be like that guy at the start of this meeting who got dead excited and was inspiring people that's not my makeup but does, does God get things wrong See, when I consider these things, there's one consideration that makes all the difference to what I can do and what I can't do. And again, these verses in Ephesians have the answer. It says, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. It's the spirit in our lives that makes a difference. I don't have to rely 
on being a good talker to save people into the kingdom. I don't have to remember every detail and question every detail of what's happening in people's lives to engage with them. What I do need to do is I need to ensure that I'm being constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, too often we fail in situations, not because of our human weaknesses, because the Bible says that he uses us in our weaknesses, but because of our failure to top up on the Holy Spirit to the point where it's flowing out of us, overflowing. You know, when I was thinking about this before I got up to preach, there was a Monty Python sketch that came to me, and it's the one where the guy's gorging himself at the feast. And he's just eating whole lambs, whole chickens, side of a cow. And he's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I'd like to say Caris was eating the very hungry caterpillar, so this is how it came to me. But then right at the end when he's full, the, the waiter comes up and asks him if he'd like a mint. And do you all know it? He keeps on going, no, no. And he's going, go on, just one mint, just one mint. And eventually convinces him to eat the mint. And he eats the mint and there's all this rumbling and welling up. And eventually just explodes. You know, that's what we should be like when we feast on the Holy Spirit. We should be gorging in the Holy Spirit to the point that we're exploding with it. Because if the Spirit is exploding out of us, then we don't have to worry about who we are. People get drawn to God. You know, you'd never think of going on a car journey, would you, without checking, the, a long car journey, without checking if you had enough fuel to get to the end. But how often do we go out the house in the morning where we're running on empty on the Holy Spirit? You know, we come here, we feast up on a Sunday, and it's great. You go to midweek groups, you feast up. Prayer and fasting, you feast up. North, you feast up. But do you snack in between? Do you keep your sugar levels topped up? Are your spirit levels running high? Or is it just that we go out there and we're like, you know, I don't really feel like I can join in this. You've got nothing extra to give out of yourself because you're getting by. Another thing that makes us a people something that makes us a tribe and again something that clans do quite frequently is gather together in Hebrews 10.25 we're told not to neglect to meet together as is the habit of some but encourage one another fellowship is a major part of our Christian walk. You know, when we meet together, it is like a feast because God says when we meet together, there's things that happen. You know, God will give us things. He'll give people tongues. He'll give people prophecies. We worship God. You know, we hear the preaching. It is a feast of being in God's presence when you come to church. It's hard to have that feast if we miss church. It's hard to have that feast if we're not joining with God's people. It's hard to have an identity if you've got no one to identify with. That's one of the things about the mix and max. They have someone to identify with. 
That's one of the reasons we take on the title of Christians. Because we have someone to identify with. It's the reason we meet together. Because we identify with each other. Regardless of what our differences are. It's what we have in common that makes us a people. We have in common that we know our true value without God. We have in common that we know our true value with God. We have in common that we all don't deserve to be here. But we have in common that God loves us to be here. We have a lot in common. And the good thing about coming together again in these verses is this. That Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You know, when our house was being built, we used to go along to the building site quite frequently. And initially, there was a hole in the ground. Then there was a whole load of bricks that came. The foundations got laid. Then they started putting the bricks into place. And those bricks were built up into the house. But you know what? Every so often when I'm digging in the garden, I come over a brick that never quite made it. It wasn't built into the house. In fact, I've come over lots of them. And they're nothing. A brick that's not attached to anything is a brick. What purpose does it serve? I mean, good pots, pot stands. That's about it. You know, put them in the bottle of, bottom of pots and they make good drainage. But at the end of the day, it's a brick. It's not been built into what was being made. Christ is our cornerstone on which we are being built into. Keep meeting together. Keep coming together that Christ may join us in. That we may become the dwelling place for God again by the Spirit. You know, by meeting together and experiencing God we're being built into something that is actually greater than our individual sum. You know, if I wanted to sell the bricks in my house, I don't think I'd get a great deal for them. If I wanted to sell the house, I would get substantially more. There's more value in the house than there is in the brick. We are being built into something of value because we have Christ as our cornerstone. We become a holy temple, a dwelling place for God by His Spirit. His Spirit dwells up in us, within us. We're a people of promise. When Christ died for us, He removed the barrier stopping us from being a part of God's people. By accepting the grace offering, we take on the most glorious name. The most honourable name. The best identity that anyone could possibly have. We join a tribe 
that has Christ as its cornerstone. And we get built into a dwelling place for God through the Spirit. To do that, we've got to be meeting together. And we've got to be topping up with the Holy Spirit. If we're going to see God's promises in our lives, those are two key things. And just as we were worshipping there, the last line from Tennyson's Ulysses came to me as I was thinking about what our attitude should actually be to get ourselves into being that people of promise. I don't know if anyone knows the last line, but the last line is this, to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield. We are called to constantly strive after the Spirit, to constantly seek out God, to find his peace, his joy and not to yield when things come against us Eve gave a fantastic reading there you know about us being in God's shadow and being protected we had nothing to fear what's the worst thing that could happen to us you know, is death the worst thing that happens to us is possessions the worst thing that's happened to us if I was to ask you now to write on a bit of paper, what is the worst thing that could happen to you? Do you believe that God is bigger than your worst fear? What holds us back from being the people of promise? Strive, seek, find, and never, ever yield. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.